The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Space is hard, and investing in it is also hard. As central banks raised interest rates and capital evaporated, private investment into the space sector plunged. But the worst may be over. According to the Seraphim Space Index, in the first three months of this year, total investment rebounded to $1.4 billion, a 75% surge from the final quarter of 2022. There's been a return to uh, growth stage investing. So uh, this quarter saw a record number of B rounds, C rounds, D rounds, E rounds than any other quarter in the history of our publication. So uh, that suggests to me that there's, uh, there's been a pause during 2022 as investors just took stock of what was going on in the market. Mark Boggett is the CEO of Seraphim Space, a leading venture capital fund specializing in, well, space. He's been investing in the sector through Seraphim since 2016. And the firm's portfolio includes companies that have appeared on this podcast, like Leo Labs and Hawkeye, plus many, many more. In this episode, Boggett joins me from the Space Symposium in Colorado Springs to discuss the current investing landscape and where he's making big bets on the future. I'm Morgan Brennan, and this is Manifest Space. Mark Boggett of Seraphim Space, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. So we are at the Space Symposium. It's one of the biggest space conferences of the year. Um, it's gone through, even just for me in a handful of years, I've seen it go through these iterations, very commercial-focused, very military-focused. This time around, it almost seems like it's more of a mix of commercial and military defense. And, and then, of course, we've got investors like yourself here. Uh, I guess walk me through your purpose in being here this week. Yeah, well, um, so I, I've been investing in space through Seraphim since 2016 and coming to events like this around the world. And uh, in 2016, 2017, 2018, I'd find myself often the only VC in the room. And what's really changed over the last handful of years is that space has really opened up more broadly to the investment community. So this is an event that was uh, traditionally uh, military-focused, a defence-related uh, event. And during the course of the last two or three years, the defence community have really been focused on how they can leverage the capability of commercial space. So as a consequence, this event now, there are many commercial space companies here, many space startups, and as a consequence of that, many other VCs are here. So um, uh, all of the leading VCs are represented here and uh, they're here to identify what the emerging technologies are from the exhibition room. Why do you think that is that we've seen more of the VC community come into the space space? Is it because there's more innovation and there are more companies doing more things and, and proving, uh, proving the business case, or, or is there something else going well, on? Well, I can tell you exactly what's happened. Um, uh, it, and it's, it's a learning curve that the investment community's gone through. 
When you first um, come across space, it's all about rockets, it's all about satellites. It doesn't really sort of interest the, the, the uh, generalist technology investor. But once you start looking deeper, you start to appreciate that space is a lot more. It's a horizontal market. So it's a bit like AI that actually impacts every single uh, vertical terrestrial market. So once investors start to understand the sheer breadth of the opportunity that's presented by the space market, they get sucked in. So this is how, what happens is that uh, entrepreneurs are approaching these, uh, the, these, these uh, investors and uh, they're, they're coming across good teams with great uh, models and new businesses that they're interested in. And that draws them to attend events like this to see what's next. So what is next? So, um, well, uh, where, where we are today, um, in, in our view, is the phase of the commercialization of space, which is around the building of a digital infrastructure. Thousands of satellites in low Earth orbit that are looking at our planet, they're gathering information in low cost, high resolution, uh, great detail. And that's, uh, we can use that information to use resources more efficiently, to monitor everything that's going on, catch bad actors that are doing bad things like dumping effluent into the sea. That's, uh, that's the market today, the nearest to revenue opportunities. If you look a little bit further uh, into the future, and a little bit further is only measured by a small number of years, maybe three, five at the most, we're then building upon that infrastructure, heavy infrastructure. So these are things like data centers in space, things like solar farms in space, things like manufacturing in space, lifting uh, dirty industries from planet Earth into space. So um, this is being driven by uh, the cost of launching into space uh, and the lowering of that cost. So there was an event that was supposed to happen during the course of this week with Starship um, being the world's largest ever uh, rocket to be launched. That's going to herald a new era of being able to do significant infrastructure in space. So that's the sort of nearer term. We've just started as an organization investing into those types of companies. So companies like Voyager um, that are building uh, space stations and focused around manufacturing are the type of investments that we've been making, Astroscale as, a, a, as another. But if we look forward maybe another three to five years, there's the next emerging market. So this is around Cislunar. So this is um, around doing things um, on the moon and really being able to uh, habitate permanently the moon. So there's so many new technologies, there's so many requirements to enable that. These companies are now just being formed. So these are the seed stage companies of today, the companies that are doing everything that there is around uh, creating a livable environment on the moon. And then hopefully that will then translate to, uh, to other planets like, like, uh, like Mars. So from an investor perspective, the nearer term sort of uh, opportunities that are underway right now are these digital infrastructure plays. And this is where defense is uh, main customers, climate and sustainability. And then we start to look further out into the future that's just coming into investors' purview at the moment. It's absolutely fascinating. And I mean, just in terms of that neuro term play, it's almost like space for Earth. Yes. Yeah. And, and really, uh, it's going to drive a whole range of sort of climate-related activities. ESG, you know, a key focus for investors around the world. You know, really trying to use investment to make changes within the businesses they're investing into. But you need to be able to measure that. You need to be able to measure that independently. There needs to be transparency. And this is one of the things that um, is going to be delivered by space over the near term. And then as you look further out, then space is going to start sort of addressing some of these big climate-related problems. Mm. Things like we talked about with uh, solar space, being able to provide clean energy and that type of thing. This idea of heavy industry in space, I mean, do we even know what this addressable market is going to be yet? No. 
No, we, we, we don't. Um, and as, uh, as an investor, you know, that's one of the biggest risks that we take. It's not really about even what the size of the ultimate addressable market is, is when will this um, market um, start to be able to have commercial revenues. Right now, there are governmental revenues. So, for example, in the Artemis program, you know, NASA is really um, sponsoring a whole range of events. And we're trying to pick the companies that are uh, leveraging that kind of uh, government investment to then turn commercial. So, again, if, I, if, if you'd like me to go into detail in one of our companies, I think it's a good uh, example of, uh, of how that's happening. All right, let's do it. So uh, let's talk about Voyager. So this is a company that's four or five years old. Um, they have grown by acquisition. So they've made seven acquisitions to date. And what they've done is they've acquired companies that are profitable already. These companies in their own right have a broad range of customers that they're selling into. But each of the uh, acquisitions that they've made have been uh, identified that when you pull them all together, they've got the capability to build a space station. So they've then won this uh, contract from NASA for $160 million to build the space station using all of the capabilities of these seven companies that they've pulled together and other acquisitions that they'll make in order to be able to fill out their, their capabilities. And then they'll go on this path to launch a space station and then to, uh, to operate the space station. But one of the things that's really clever about their approach is that they're not reliant on these government um, grants in order to be able to thrive because each independent element of their business is profitable in its own right and growing. Hmm. So they're able to sustain this business until the market arrives to them. And that was one of the reasons why we picked this company because it's so well positioned, so thoughtful about how they're approaching this market. And one of the areas that they're really interested in is actually one of the, one of the areas I'm excited about at the moment, which is around uh, biotech in space, space pharma and how using zero-g to uh, undertake experiments is going to uh, result in different outcomes to that that happens uh, here on Earth, where these experiments are subject to uh, gravity. So we believe that there is uh, tremendous technological breakthroughs that are going to come through for biotech and pharmaceuticals as a consequence of uh, being able to do all of this experimentation in a zero-g environment. So um, uh, Voyager is one of the key companies that's establishing themselves really to create a science park in space for all of these pharmaceutical companies to be able to do this kind of experimentation at scale. And we really think that there's going to be some huge game-changing results as a consequence. What is, what is doing some of this pharmaceutical uh, experimentations and, and development in space? What, is it, what, what makes it different than doing it on Earth? So, um, uh, to, to, to put it simply, the uh, molecules behave differently in a, in a gravity environment to a non-gravity environment. So um, uh, crystals, for example, uh, they form in 3D rather than sort of flat in the, pet in the Petri dish. And it completely changes the, the structure of these organisms. And that then results in different outcomes when you apply the, the tests. So uh, we believe that there's a, a massive opportunity to look back at all of the uh, different drugs that have failed to succeed as they go through the various stages of getting their um, uh, qualification to be sold, to retest them in a zero-g environment. All the billions of dollars that have already been invested into those experiments that ceased because they haven't been able to get their uh, approvals can all be retested in a new environment. And that's the type of thing that, when done at scale, we think that there's going to be some game-changing results. Wow. So let's talk a little bit about the investing climate now, because we have seen the Federal Reserve and other central banks 
tighten and, and, and raise interest rates, and we've seen liquidity drop and, and capital dry up to a certain extent. How has that affected investing in space? So uh, space is not immune to the uh, macro backdrop. So 2022 has seen a significant um, fall off in space. So I should add here, I'm going to be quoting a few figures here. And these are from, we've, we've been doing a publication quarterly since 2017, which we call the Seraphim Space Index. And what we've been doing is measuring all of the private investment flows into space globally in this market so that we can talk about the, and answer these kind of questions that you've just posed. So in, in 2022, there was a 30% reduction in the total amount of investment that was, uh, that was put into space globally. So it went from, uh, from 9.9 million to, I think it was 6.9 uh, billion uh, was the total figure. And, uh, and that was sort of throughout 2022, sort of tailing, uh, trending downwards. And uh, we've just released the first report, the first quarter for 2023. So this is the period to the 31st of March. And there's some good news. There's been a strong rebound on the quarter. So 50% up um, on, the, uh, on the quarter, um, on the fourth quarter. And uh, there's some really interesting trends that sort of underline that. So, so one of them is that there's been a return to uh, growth stage investing. So uh, this quarter saw a record number of B rounds, C rounds, D rounds, E rounds than any other quarter in the history of our publication. So uh, that suggests to me that there's, uh, there's been a pause during 2022 as investors just took stock of what was going on in the market. The underlying companies uh, adjusted their cash flows and they reserved uh, their capital best they could. And now there's a, there's a catch up happening in Q1 as investors are coming back to those companies and providing them uh, capital. So the level of capital that they're providing isn't as big as it was in, in 2022 or 2021. So the actual average size of a round has fallen marginally, but it shows that there's uh, ongoing interest uh, in this area. So we're particularly pleased about that because growth stage capital is an absolute requirement for this business, for, for the industry to continue to scale on the, on the trajectory that it's on. And then the, the other thing that's happened, and uh, this, is a, this is a first for the, for, for, for the market, is that in the first quarter of 2023, there was more investment from uh, Europe, Europe investors in terms of more companies and more actual investment than the US market. Now, this is the first time that that's ever happened in the history of our report. Why is that happening? I'm surprised so, by that. Yeah, well, you know, we were surprised by that as well, but positively surprised. So, one, there's been a massive setback in American investment. That, that's the driver of this. But what it really demonstrates is that there's actually been a, um, a, a continual quarterly increase, um, uh, almost at a sort of 45 degree angle um, over the last few years from the European investment community in space. There's been a real focus around this market. There's been a number of sort of governmental structures that have been in, put in place over the course of the last couple of years that are now really coming into play to, uh, to, to uh, and demonstrable through the numbers that we've seen. So these are things like, um, for example, the EU has put 650 million euros um, into the EIF, which is the European Investment Fund. And what they're doing is that they are um, allocating that to venture fund managers that are specialising in space. But they're only actually going to provide about 25% of any um, full fund. So that means four times that amount is going to be invested um, in, into the market. And that's already started to come through. The first investors have been supported by uh, the EIF and they're now investing in the market. And then we've got other um, structures that have uh, been put into place, such as the uh, NATO um, Innovation Fund. So this is a fund that's uh, announced earlier this year. 
It's going to uh, be launched uh, during the next quarter, and that's a billion euros that's going to be focused on investing into the type of space companies in Europe and, and more broadly. So these kind of um, uh, activities that are sort of structured from government are really adding to the, uh, the, 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 the scale of the investment climate in Europe. I think looking ahead, there's going to be a recover, recovery um, from the US investors. So okay. I don't think that this is going to be sustained quarter <laughs> on quarter. But I think that Europe is going to continue on its trajectory and that ultimately there will be a point in the future again where we'll see Europe um, matching uh, the total investment uh, from the US. Yeah, the, the, other, the flip side of this is, um, as we've seen this correction, and now it sounds like rebound uh, to start 2023, um, have we seen enough of a correction in terms of valuations? Have we seen enough of a correction in terms of the amount of companies that are out there vying for a piece of the space economy? Because especially on the launch side, and I think about a Virgin Orbit, which recently yeah. filed for bankruptcy, um, is there more consolidation? Is there more? Is there more shakeout, for lack of a better term, that needs to come? So I think that that is inevitably going to happen, as it does do with any sector where there's a there's a, there's a crowd of um, businesses trying to achieve the same objective. You know, in launch, there's 150 launch companies. You know, anybody can look at this market and see that there's too many companies for the size of the addressable market. And whilst it's disappointing news around uh, Virgin Orbit, you know, I personally think it relates more to the structure of their investment being a SPAC rather than the underlying company. I think that was one of the things that, um, that made it a challenge for them to raise money. But you know, at the same time, we're seeing other launch companies very successfully raising money this quarter. So ISAR, the, uh, the German launch company, was the number one um, uh, largest investment in the first quarter of this year. We've seen other uh, companies like Relativity Space that have just um, successfully launched their first 3D printed rocket. Now, it wasn't 100% successful, but that rocket launched, and that's a, a whole new um, entrant of uh, 3D printed completely uh, a rocket into this market. So I, you know, I don't think that there's a problem with launch per se. There's just too many uh, companies in that part of the market, and, uh, and, and investors are discerning. You know, there's a wide range of choice, so they're going to go with the companies that they perceive to be the premium companies. And, uh, and what we've been uh, ourselves seeing in the market, particularly through our own portfolio, we've got over 100 portfolio companies with, with the most active investor in this market globally. And what we've witnessed is that the companies that are considered to be the premium companies within each of the different categories of the space market, they've been comfortably raising money throughout 2022. It continues in 2023. So, um, you know, I'll give you an example, um, uh, Astroscale, just recently closed a $75 million round. So Astroscale is, um, is a, is a um, in-orbit in, in services company, and yet they're still comfortably raising large rounds, and actually the pricing of that round was the same as the, uh, as the 2022 pricing. So even though the business has progressed significantly during the course of the year, the, uh, the, the round pricing is flat. But nevertheless, I think that still shows that the pricing's robust in the market. The, the other thing really that, uh, that comes in here, and this sort of um, relates back to where we are today at Space Symposium, is, um, is, is that um, the Ukraine has very much changed everything that's going on yeah. in the space market. It's really brought a, a renewed emphasis and interest in the capabilities of new space companies. These satellite constellations that are large enough to provide frequent revisit, they're applying artificial intelligence to provide real-time insights onto what's going on on the ground and what's been going on in the Ukraine 
has really sort of brought this immediately to the attention of, uh, of the defence community. So what we've seen since is really a, um, a, an increased interest in uh, defence and intelligence to access these kind of companies. And that is really coming through to the revenues of these businesses. So, um, for example, um, in our last reported um, uh, 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 results, the, uh, the top 10 seraphim companies, they were up 53% in terms of revenue for the last six months of last year. So there's genuine revenue growth happening despite this um, macroeconomic backdrop. And it's largely because defence is like a new customer. It's not a new customer, but it's a customer that's got new budgets. There's uh, imperative to act now. The timescales for, uh, for, for, for uh, signing up and proof of concepts and moving those through to full-blown contracts is, uh, is contracted. And that's now being seen in the numbers. So uh, investors who are, who are looking at this market are able to see that there's strong growth in these businesses. And when they dig down, they can see that the outlook remains really positive because most of these companies are not focused around defense as a, as, as a focused area. They're dual-use technologies. Mm. So they've got other commercial markets that they're going for as well. And the next nearest and biggest commercial market are those things that relate to climate and sustainability. So the other driver of revenue within the typical companies in this market is also climate and sustainability. And we know that there's trillions of dollars um, to invest into those businesses. And there's, a, uh, there's an impetus from uh, companies and governments to actually use those solutions. So there's two really big drivers that are uh, really pushing the growth in this market. Mm. And investors are recognising that. So that has really meant that, um, that the valuations have remained pretty robust on 2021-2022 numbers and the, the premium companies are, are getting funded without much of a problem. Yeah, this idea of secular growth, maybe even recession-proof uh, in investments potentially, depending on what the rest of the year and next year bring. Yeah. Mark, appreciate the conversation. We covered a lot. Thank Great. you so much for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. That does it for this episode of Manifest Space. Make sure you never miss a launch by following us wherever you get your podcasts and by watching our coverage on Closing Bell Overtime. I'm Morgan Brennan. I won't let my active psoriatic arthritis joint symptoms define me. Emerge as you. Tremphia guselkumab is proven to significantly reduce joint pain, stiffness, and swelling in adults with active psoriatic arthritis. Some patients even reported less fatigue as assessed by survey one week prior. Results may vary. Tremphia is taken by injection six times a year after two starter doses at week zero and four. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Tremphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of an infection including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available.